0: everybody, my name is Indy, and the gentleman next to me over here, that's Mr. Jay Powell from the Powell Group Consulting, and welcome to another exciting, amazing, impactful episode of Indie Game Business. Today, we've got Brian Etheridge from Tripwire Interactive, or Tripwire Interactive, Tripwire Presents, which, by the way, is our new sponsor, so we would like to thank Tripwire Presents for sponsoring the Indie Game Business show.
1: Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh Tripwire Interactive or Tripwire Presents, it's totally fine. Either works. I happen to be a Presents person. You're a Presents person? Amazing. I am. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. I was
2: having major technical difficulties there for a second because I could not figure out why everything was doubling, and it's because I had the YouTube page open. Anyway, yes, as you can tell, uh, we are still getting back in the swing of this stuff. Uh But today, like, like Dan said, we have Brian from Tripwire, who is and I'm not being paid to say this in any way, shape, and form. Uh, one of the absolute best people and best companies in the entire world. So
1: and he um, plays
0: guitar, which is super cool. Actually, That's true. I'm
1: still bad we actually, at it. But
0: yes.
2: We mentioned last week that we have, we were going to be working with Tripwire. They have really come through for us and, and sponsored for several months, and there's going to be lots of cool stuff coming out of it. Um, and so as a reward for that this week, when we didn't have a speaker lined up. Brian got the last minute notice of, hey, what are you doing tomorrow morning? And here we are. Um, But we have we already had like a couple of topics pulled away because we've got some e-learning classes coming out this year, thanks to the folks at Tripwire. Uh, And what we're going to talk about today uh, is one of the ideas that we had. But before we do all that, Brian, kick us off by telling us how you got into the industry and walk us through your career up to this point.
1: Oh wow! Okay, yeah. So, uh, oddly enough, I used to shrink wrap screensavers. That was actually how I got in the industry. So I had a cousin who worked for a little studio out in uh, Thousand Oaks, California, called uh, uh, Sound Source Interactive, and uh, he was there doing like making screensavers. They did like an "I Love Lucy" screensaver, and they also did like Return of the Jedi and and a bunch of others. And so. I actually used to go over there after I got out of high school and I would work in the in the um in the shipping department, like with these these really cool folks. Um there was like a dude that was like he looked like he was straight up in nine inch nails, but like back before nine inch nails is cool. And like they were making like keyboard sounds, and then they were also like developing like screensavers and they started to dabble in games. And so I I took a job there, I used to shrink back screensavers, I used to get to look at like um source material that i had like my favorite thing was like there were these slides that said revenge of the jedi and like back then i thought it was so cool that it said revenge of the jedi instead of return of the jedi um that they used to use to make the screensavers so um i remember the the day that i was sitting there and we were chatting about something this guy brought in resident evil the first resident evil and he was like let's check out this intro scene so i think it was probably that moment i figured out like okay i need to be in games um, I was still in high school, but, uh, oh, can't hear me in Discord. Um, let me see if I can figure that out. Um, let me double check, make sure my signs are right. But um, fast forward a couple years, I decided that I was going to, um, here, hopefully this is better. Is that better? Yeah, now, now you're lighting up. Okay, cool. So fast forward a couple years, I actually went into audio engineering school, and uh, it was like a trade school. I did that. And I became like super, sort of disillusioned with like the way that you kind of had to like you gotta prove yourself and you gotta go work in this studio and like sweep trash and maybe they'll let you touch the mixer in six months, kind of thing. So I had at, I went back to that same old company that had then become TDK MediaActive and took a job testing. And from there it just it just went straight. I uh, that was in 2001. I haven't left the game industry since. I was a gamer prior to that um i went in through production eventually moved over to uh uh, tdk media active actually became part of the 2k family so we were uh, a global global star company at one point um i i enjoyed that it was awesome i worked on ufc i worked on tonka i worked on shrek games i worked on all sorts of like crazy licensed games and then i decided at a certain point that i kind of wanted to get um get a view of the other side so the internal side. Um, I did a very short stint at Treyarch working on Spider-Man 3. Um, That was pretty short-lived because I found out I was having my first kid and someone else um, who knew me from the TDK days offered me a job at a company called D3. Um, And it was an opportunity I really couldn't turn down. I knew publishing much better back then than I did sort of the internal side. Um, Working at Treyarch was, was, was an interesting experience um i definitely felt out of my out of my league so i took this position and from there um producing mostly you know uh licensed games or in some cases kids games but you know we had a couple of really good uh games that we were that we were producing that was a company that did dark sector dark sector sort of spiritually was the predecessor to warframe um and and lots of really cool stuff that kind of came along. But what I really learned there was kind of how to work on uh, uh, limited time, limited budget, those kind of things, and sort of how to to make sure you have the resources that you need. Um, uh, D3 eventually kind of became more focused in mobile. Um, I was there, actually, when we got the first Puzzle Quest uh, game build came across. And it was totally different than what Puzzle Quest became. Um, We partnered with another studio that we had kind of with us at the time called Vicious Cycle, uh, redid the art. It became sort of Puzzle Quest 1, which was really big on PSP. Remember PSP? Um, And then Puzzle Quest 2, I was there. I didn't work on those titles, but I was sort of there and present. I was the one busy doing a lot of the DreamWorks stuff. And um, So, yeah, so that kind of uh, became what it was. Then Marvel Puzzle Quest happened. D3 became mostly a mobile game studio at that point. Um, and at a certain point, I just found that my sort of love for console and PC uh, sort of overrode everything. I kind of want to get back to that kind of love and, um, you know, hearts in my eyes sort of uh, feeling I had back in the day. So that's how I joined Tripwire. I was a huge fan of Tripwire games. Red Orchestra is probably my favorite shooter of all time. Um, and so, uh, chatted with them, and here I am. So
2: through, but you're the publishing director over at Tripwire, yeah. So obviously you see, you know, a lot of the situations come up that we're going to talk about today. And it's one yep. of the most asked questions that we get here on our side as well. Developers are going: should we do an early, should we go early access? And yep. or should we just wait and do a full blown release? And so. Walk us through, you know, just to start the high level, you know, what types of things do you need to keep in mind when you're doing that? Because, I mean, there's effectively two versions of early access. There's the whole we've launched it, just go to a wish list. And then there's the we've launched it and now you can pay for it and do all that sort of stuff. So from the from the top, what are the core things that developers need to be thinking about when they're trying to figure out which route they're going to go?
1: Yeah, I, I think first off to acknowledge like there's a very good reason to want to do early access, right? Um a lot of people do it either as a means of sort of making sure that they have the funding and continue development, right? A lot of times they'll need that funding in order to be able to sort of move things along, pay people, keep the team together. That totally makes sense. So um the first thing I would ask myself is like hey is that even a thing that you need you know if you have a publishing deal or if you have some alternate source of funding um you definitely want to be asking yourself like does early access make sense um and 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 what are the benefits going to be for us so uh, another another common reason that you would want to do it and this is again a totally valid reason is um it, it's coming from a very smart place of wanting to improve your game prior to launch by letting the community help guide your development, right telling you the things that they like, telling you the things that they don't like, and how to improve your game, which I think that last point, you know that 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 might be tough like you're not you know uh, getting that feedback, you need to weigh it very heavily. But so I, I think the first thing you need to weigh is like do you have the funding and if not, do you want to potentially risk damaging the launch of the game in order to get that funding now and and are you actually going to be able to get the funding that you need to be able to sort of continue early access development through the whole launch so um, first and foremost what is your strategy for launch that should be the first consideration if you do have a, a publisher or are considering a publisher, I would really, really strongly encourage that if you are considering a publishing deal, reaching out, talking to your publisher first um, and, and, and before you even put it out there or even before you make a Steam page and try and generate, um, you know, likes and get your Discord rolling and all those sorts of things. Um, hey, publisher, like, what do you think? Because it just may not fit with their marketing strategy. So I don't know. That's, that's kind of the, the first thing I think you need to really think about is, um, in the long run, is it going to be worth it? Um, or are we sort of looking for some short-term gains uh, that, that maybe you can get through other means? And I, I talk a little bit about those kind of like you know alternatives and stuff like that to early access.
2: All right. So real quick, Dive, I have another question that I want to ask based on that. But the minute I ask this other question, we're going to go into a completely different tangent. So I'm holding it. But go into a little more detail about how you can potentially damage your opportunities for deals by releasing something in early access.
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, not every publisher is going to feel the same way, right? Um, Some of them may see it as a way to vet the concept or, they might potentially put a gate in your agreement that says, if you don't achieve something, you know, whatever, a, a, a KPI by a certain time and early access that, you know, basically the deal gets cut off that that's a possibility, but um, for us, at least it, it would count as sort of like a strike against the game in the sense that you've effectively taken away the publisher's ability and specifically the marketing team's ability to control the narrative. And so, uh, when you uh, if you put a game out there in early access, um, it, unless you have like a super skilled marketing team and you know exactly how you want to position the game, you're taking away that ability to sort of uh, to to really noodle away or or sort of like build up the hype. Um, you know, a well crafted marketing plan like there are people right go to school and get master's degrees in this sort of thing. They know how to build up hype. You know how to like sort of drip feed the content so that you're showing the right things and and taking people who are interested on a journey um, and not losing their interest you know there's something like i think like a rule of three you need to sort of engage with something probably at least three times and have a positive reaction before you decide you're going to sort of pony up your money and spend spend on it and so a marketing team is going to help you develop the plan to sort of get that initial contact out there um, sort of show what the game's potential is and then show uh, show a path to building that up. I mean, how many times have you sort of looked and seen something and you're like, oh my God, yes, I love this game and I want that. And then you put your money down for it and then the reality sort of doesn't live up to the hype. Um, Battlefield, you know. I mean, <laughs> Battlefront. Um, so yeah.
2: Right, <laughs> so. I, I am constantly telling people it's like don't pre-order the game because you unless you just know it's just not but then again I turn around do it anyway (laughs) um so one of the main reasons like you just said of developers going and needing to go into early access where they're actually selling the product is because they need money in the short term so if they don't want to do that What are some of those alternative options that are out there to get a little more funding, to get the demo a little further along so they can get a publisher in place?
1: Yeah, sure. So first thing I would say is if you're putting something out that's early access that is essentially a prototype, I I would throw that up as a red flag. I feel like you're at that point, you're definitely, uh, I don't want to say setting yourself up for failure, but you're not putting your best foot forward, right? Right. So um, I would not say that releasing an early access build as a means of trying to secure funding or showcase your game when it's at that early of a point is a good idea. Um, the, um, obviously, the alternative's, you is know, looking for uh, funding or investing. Um, I'm going to sound like I'm trying to sell Tripwire Presents, which admittedly I am. But uh, you know finding finding a good publisher is, is, a, is a, a great step to help find someone that can guide you through the right way to do it in addition to giving you funding so that you can pay for your pay for your staff, right? And um, I can't tell you how many times we've uh, received or seen pitches where, Um, people have built it up to this level and now they've gotten it to this point and they can't continue to develop the title any further because they don't have that funding and they're considering early access, but how much money is early access going to pull in? That is exclusively going to uh, depend on how far along your game is, um, whether or not you've uh, got enough meat on the bone, so to speak, to, allow it to continue to generate hype and generate and uh, pull in a player base all throughout the rest of the development. And if you're just at a prototype stage, you probably don't have that much content in order to sort of uh, feed the beast, so to speak, um, for for a long enough time. So I would, you know, of course, I'm going to sell what we do, but I would look at publishing opportunities and finding a way to secure your funding before you put out an early access version so that you can talk to someone and maybe even a publisher will give you some good feedback that sort of says, um, you know, if you're considering early access, you may want to wait for this or we can fund you up to a certain point that might get you a better early access build. I don't think it's at all uncommon for publishers to look at funding through a vertical slice or maybe a, a much more final version. Or a more final version of a prototype or game, um, and that might be a better option than just putting it out there and hoping that you get um, you know enough pickup to 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 continue to fund the team. Um, my boss used to say, "Hope is not a strategy." I totally agree with that, um, and I think it's I think it's wise in this case.
2: Uh, I had a developer tell me at E3 many many years ago that they didn't need a publisher because Apple was going to feature their product. Um, <laughs> this was while they were at prototype stage. And I was like, you know, I would argue that, but I'm just, the fact that you said that tells me it would be pointless. So I'm just going to to move on. There's a,
1: I I, I think the modern day equivalent is, um, and it's not, it doesn't come from a bad place, right? It's hopeful, it's ambitious. It's all the things that you should be when you're an entrepreneur, but people will often say, well, we're going to get influencers or content creators to cover our game. And I think that that's, an under appreciation for the amount of effort it takes to get that attention and and oftentimes to to pay them you know it's in a lot of cases it's not free right
2: what what i want to see is the studio that comes along with the plan beforehand to take the among us strategy where they're going to launch their game let it like linger for two and a half years and then somebody's going to take off with it that's the that's the written strategy i want to see you know going forward so how does early access compare with having a demo in one of the Steam Next Fest at this point monthly things that yeah. happen
1: on Steam? So. NextFests are fantastic because they emulate kind of what a marketing campaign might look like. And granted, you're going to be in there with a bunch of other people and you need to have something that shows well so that you can get that attention, get the most concurrent viewers or whatever it is. But um, the uh, you know the idea behind a simultaneous launch is to try and concentrate all of the attention around one point. And so that, um, that will then build up the hype. We'll get people talking about it. The more times you hear people talking about a thing, the more likely you are to be interested in it. And so it's not just, hey, I heard my friend Joe tell me this game was good, but, oh, I heard my friend Joe told me this game was good. And, and Johnny sent me a link and Elizabeth was tweeting about it. Now I'm probably going to pay attention to it. And so concentrating it in around something like Steam Fest, where it's controlled and your demo is free, um, and now you can get people in and paying attention to what it is with like almost no entry a barrier to entry, right? Um, if it's early access, you're either doing it at a cost, so hey, we're going to charge for this game, but you can get early access um, right now by paying for it, which is a gamble. Or um, well, I guess that's that's the other way, but um, you know you're going to have people that are resistant to that, right? One of our one of our producers we play a lot of games together he refuses to pick up early access games and i think it comes from a place of he wants to see the game the way it is when it's supposed to ship and so obviously some developers have done early access insanely well i would say games like hell let loose or valheim um, squad like they've done really good jobs of putting out a, a very substantial game that can get attention and hold it but um, especially if you're a single-player game, you know, do you want to play maybe part of it? Probably not. You probably want to sit down and do the whole thing all at once, or you want those final presentation values to be there. So I think he does it and sort of says that from a place of, I want to experience the game that the developers want to make, not the one that they need to put out now. Um, and so I think, yeah, uh, getting that attention in and around kind of a Next Fest, if you can get the invitation to be in one I, I think that is a much better way to sort of garner attention and also like as a publisher man we we sit there glued like I just keep a window open where I'm just like scrolling through the next fest stuff and just watching what's coming up um, uh, we will look at early access stuff but it's a lot easier um, and uh, and and you can see what the fans reactions are right if it's in next fest you could sit there and you can look at how many concurrents and that's a good indicator of how much people care
2: Um. um... Notoriously bad for doing the same thing: buying something in early access and then letting it sit there until it's done, and then I go play it. Uh, so, how can early access be used as a tool for pitching
1: to publishers? So, I I think there there is a way to do that. I think that it. It must be that your game is kind of at a point where it can sustain itself at early access. So I think I thought about, like, okay, well, you know, I wanted to say, like, well, when is a good time to do an early access release? Well, as long as your publisher isn't opposed to the idea that early access sort of takes the narrative away from them, and maybe you've done a good job of putting that narrative out there yourself, and they're still interested. It could be a good tool if you can show um, we have interest, we have a visible roadmap, our our community page is getting a lot of hype, people are talking about it, our wish list numbers are good, all of those things, which, to be fair, I think only will happen if you do it at a point when your game almost feels like it's a complete game already. Um, And what do I mean by that? Um, I think probably my favorite example of that is Hell Let Loose. Um, i played that game a lot in early access i love it it's it did uh if you told me when it first came out in early access that the game was done i would have been like that's fine cool i love playing it it's only got a couple maps but i'm good i don't need any more
0: and then it just kept
1: getting better and better and better and they kept adding more and more so i think something you know like that where the game as it as it comes out in early access could be perceived as kind of like oh it's It's good enough to be a game that stands on its own. You kind of have to be at that point. What I think you do see, though, is a lot of early access games where, um, you know, the hope, and again, it comes from a good place. The hope is that you can get people to help you tweak and refine your game, but the game isn't complete or the experience isn't there, right? The features aren't all there. So you're selling, you're not... um, you're not putting a version of your game out there, right? Your game is going to be a conglomeration of all of these different features, the final looking visuals, the VO, et cetera. And if one of those things is missing, it's not a great representation. Okay, maybe your VO isn't there, you're using voice to text or text to voice or something. That's fine, right? But if your game is a tower defense shooter But your early access version really is only showcasing the shooter element and tower defense is going to come later. Well, that's not your unique game, right? That is a shooter and it's not the thing that you want to make. So that is when I think it I think it's maybe a bad idea because, number one, you're stripping the narrative away from the publisher who should have marketers that can do a really good job of that. And two, you're not putting your best foot forward.
2: Right, so, the difference is though, something like Hell Let Loose, that was not the developer putting that in early access, though. That was Team 17 putting that in early right. access. So, you almost need to be able to have the same capabilities as a publisher, you know, before you're going to do it, then, because, I mean, that's like, I mean, do you all use early access?
1: Uh, we have. Um, I think we've. Uh, gotten to the point where we feel like we can come up with better strategies or better things that we can do that don't kill that early narrative but totally acknowledge like that's a great example right it was done well it was done right yes it had a publisher, but if you think about it like okay let's say they didn't have a publisher and they managed to get funding to get it to that point I don't think it would have been any different, they just had the ability to get some promotion and some build up through team 17 so yeah fair enough like that's a it's a totally good counterpoint. Um, but if if the game was solid and could stand on its own and could get attention that same way, then you know I think I think it would still be a vi- viable strategy at that point. And at that point, that is when you can start to get honest and sincere feedback about your game because it is essentially a complete version of itself, right? What did they add post early access launch? They started to add some features, but really the squad play was in there um the game you know it didn't have any maps it didn't have the russians or whatever um it but it it had enough factions to to be able to stand on its own okay there's going to be subtle differences those are that's content those aren't features to me it felt like the features were complete the way that you get into the map all those things were kind of done and in there already
2: i had another question and i absolutely just lost it in my train of thought and so we're going to go next step so Early access on console or PC versus mobile. What's the difference?
1: Yeah. So I think, I honestly think a good portion of why early access is, had, had gotten so much traction early on was because of the way that mobile games were starting to be developed with soft launch strategies. So, you know, just a. a I'm sure everyone knows this but a lot of times what mobile companies would do is they would do what's you know what's called territory locked release or a geo locked release and so you would take your game that is probably a free-to-play game um and you would say okay hey we're going to release it in the philippines or in thailand or somewhere where um you know it's it's uh uh it's not going to damage us if it goes out there and it's incomplete um, because in the end we're probably going to get maybe 2% or 1% of our revenue or something from that territory. So you put it into a, into a territory where you can get people to play it, um, but you don't uh, sort of threaten your main territory. as like, a, you know, we want uh, Europe and, you know, North America. So I feel like the idea for that came, you know, came from that mobile strategy of, okay, we put it out there, get a lot of feedback, and then we can tweak and tune, and we do it all on based on numbers and 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 feedback surveys right but when you think about it like a a huge key difference there is number one like most of those mobile games are free to play number you know so uh your ability to bring people in is so easy right when uh when you think about it like obviously the install base or the built-in market pool for for a mobile game is humongous compared to console or pc obviously they're tons and tons of gamers on the other one, but we have our phones in our pocket a million times a day. So bringing people in to uh, check a game or look at a game and it's sort of like early access in a territory locked region is so much easier on PC because if you, you know, how many advertisements a day do you see on your phone versus how many advertisements, you know, do you see on Xbox or like when you're browsing the store like yeah you're seeing some things up there that are ads but what is going to get you to install it it's seeing someone talk about it or post about it or something like that and it's just a million times easier to have that happen on mobile where then you know your barrier to entry is basically zero because the game is free to play to begin with so <clears throat> you know i think um that's that's one key thing right the the ability to gather and to bring people into the door to check it out. And then the other side of it is what is um, you know, what is your goal? If your goal is I want people to sit down and play it and I've got this game, it's got a really good in-app purchase mechanic or my monetization strategy is built off of this and I want to see if people engage with it. Well, for a start, you need like enough people to, to, to do that, to do it well before you can believe those numbers. You need to have statistical significance and getting... 100 people in to do it just isn't going to really be enough to be able to form an accurate opinion and a data based approach or a data driven approach. So that's where I think it's it's um, uh, if you want to take that data driven approach on console and PC, it's just an uphill climb and you're probably not territory locking it. So you are potentially doing damage to what may be your key territory um, and and your. maybe doing some irreparable long-term harm to your launch strategy that it's not always going to be the case but i would worry about that
2: so what if your pc game is a free-to-play
1: game is it okay in that case to start doing it i do think i do think that would be better right because uh yeah successful free-to-play pc games um those are going to be... There are a lot fewer of those than there are mobile games, I think, right? I I don't know. I I think that's the case. It Um, it, it, it is.
2: Okay, (laughs) But you still see... I mean, we've seen several years ago, you started seeing free-to-play games come out on PC, and everybody was like, the hell, this is like a mobile strategy, but then they started picking up, and now we've seen it on, even like on Switch now. I mean, so... Right, free to play is still it's it, it's a option on any platform, but yes, it is the the percentages are drastically lower on PC yeah, and right. console than
1: they are. Yeah, I, I mean, off the top of my head, I could probably name like ten or twenty really successful mobile games that are barely scratching the surface of successful mobile games that are free to play out on the market. Whereas, like on PC and console, I can think of them, and they're probably five to 10 really big ones that take up the lion's share of all of the market. Right. And, and so I think that the, the, one of the key things is a lot of people say, well, I'm going to go at this and I'm going to, I'm going to release this game as a free to play game so that I can bring people into it. And uh, because I've seen Valorant do it, or I've seen some other game do it or whatever. Um, And, and when you, when you do it that way, you have to remember, well, okay. So when when you bring it out, you have to have a constant influx of people. The business of free to play is very much a, you know, you're looking at a curve, you've tuned your retention. You know, that if I bring a hundred people in by day seven, I'm going to have 20 left and they're going to monetize at uh, 2% of them per day are going to make purchases. And the average purchase value is going to be X. Like it's a math game, right? And so unless you can have that constant influx of people, And unless you've looked at and you know what your stats are at that point, you should not be investing in people. You should not be buying users or doing user acquisition or spending money on, you know, influencer marketing or anything like that. So I would just say, you know, a lot of people come into it with, okay, I've seen I've seen success, successful free to play titles on PC um, and I'm going to do it that way, but don't know. Um, like they don't have a monetization data uh, designer or a data scientist or someone who who can sit down and show like what the what the numbers need to be in order for you to be making money and if you do and at that point you know that your retention rate at day one is you know insanely high and you know your average revenue per user is going to be 50 cents uh, and you know, You have all these things sort of figured out, and you've compensated for your server costs, etc. If you do, then maybe it is a totally valid approach. But I think most people come into it looking at what other games have done and think, okay, I'm going to do it that way, but they maybe don't quite know how much effort it takes and how much money is spent on acquiring those users.
0: you looking for a publisher for your game well we have something special just for you it's the most comprehensive listing of pc console and mobile publishers in the industry over 700 companies sorted by platform with links to their websites you can get the list at www.powellgroupconsulting.com slash publisher dash list and you can get it for free check it out
2: stupid amounts that's the uh, yeah <laughs> all right so dan's got some questions coming in we're going to you know jump right in there what are your top tips for a successful early access launch
1: yep um uh i don't think you should ever go into an early access launch saying i'm going to see what people say and then i'm going to develop based on what they say i think you need to uh, have enough content plotted out you need to have a roadmap that you can make visible and put out there so that people see it and know what's coming, and you have to have a realistic cadence of releases coming up and know that you can hit them. So I think you need to um, have the, uh, the sort of foresight and planning ability to say, okay, hey, we're hitting early access here. Um, in four weeks, we're going to release this update, which is going to introduce this mechanic, and then two weeks after that, we're going to do this, and to know kind of what that cadence of releases is, and then plot in enough time to do those balanced tweaks and all the things that you find out from your awesome users that come in and tell you, you know, give you feedback on the game and tell you how to do it. But one thing that, you know, we often see is, you know, we'll have a plan that says, hey, we're going to early access in February of next year. Um, And then we're going to launch a year later. Um, But nothing about what the in-between, like what that valley of time is going to do. Because they'll often say, well, we're going to see what people say about the game and we'll develop based on that. Well, that's, All right, So yeah.
2: that touches on the question I was going to ask earlier, but didn't <laughs> want to
1: jump into a ridiculous tangent, but now I'm
2: going to. <laughs> where do you draw the line at listening to what people want? You know, because we know how toxic and how entitled a lot of fans, especially on the Internet, when they're posting stuff, where does the line... Lay in the sand between I'm going to take some feedback from my fans and I'm going to, oh, my God, do whatever they want.
1: Mm. Um, the we we talked about this a lot on some past games I've worked on. Um, you 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 do need to listen to people, obviously. But how do you listen to them? I think that's critical. So you cannot just listen to them by by reading their posts or hearing what they have to say in discord. Um, That's great data um, that will help you figure out ideas and places to go, but what you need to do is look at what they're actually doing in the game through their data. So you need to listen to their data. I know that sounds cheesy, it's probably a given, but um, one of the things that, um, I'll give you an example, in a past title I worked on, we had to, um, we made a decision to tweak a certain value that would make it so that you needed um, more of a thing in order to increase the level and progress through the game. Um, we knew it was probably a good decision because of the rate at which people were acquiring and like applying upgrades to this thing. So we talked about it, announced it, and people freaked out, said, that's baloney, you're just asking for more money when in reality it wasn't really trying to get us money. It was trying to make their um, their sort of uh, engagement chunk shorter so that they could play, kind of play more often which yes of course everything is always tuned towards sort of generating revenue but um it wasn't a malicious like ah we're gonna charge from charge more for this and this was not a tripwire by the way um what we did was you know we we heard that feedback we recognized that there was probably going to be some kind of backlash but the players actually in the data were uh when we made the change we're totally fine with it we're we're doing exactly what they said and you would have classic cases of people going i'm totally i am not playing your game anymore. You guys have screwed up and see you later bye. And then you're like, yeah, but you just logged in 10 minutes ago. Um, and and so, you know, I think it's important to remember that like people will say one thing and do something else a lot of times. And so while you do need to listen to and hear your fans and absolutely you should take everything that they say into consideration, um, you need to look at the data and you need to see kind of what it is they're actually doing um, with their actions as opposed to just with their words
2: i have some favorite AAA examples of that one on the topic of people saying one thing and doing another the notorious uh call of duty boycott group on steam a couple of years ago where they were not going to buy any more call of duty games because something and then the day that it launched you could go into that group and there were just a shit ton of them playing you know the next call of duty game the other two are famous for uh, multiple reasons but fallout 76 and no man's sky and yep. i talk about these two a lot if you had listened to the press or listened to the discord and listened to twitter on either one of those games when it came out there was no way in hell you would imagine they are still kicking a lot today yeah but bethesda and the folks over at uh god who's the no Man's Sky people, I cannot remember. I can't remember off
1: the top of my head either. I love that game, I can't remember. Go.
2: Sean and his team, I'll say that. They, yes, they did listen and they did see all the feedback, but they also looked at the data. Yep. And if the data coming in from these games had complete, yes, hello games. Thank you, Gamer Composer. Thank you. Uh, if the data had coming in, had matched what you were seeing in the community, in the press, or on Twitter, no, they would have killed it. It would have been horrible, but obviously it didn't. You know, they were looking at that data. So when you know, you're looking at this from the outside, either as another developer or as a you know consumer and you're like, well, everybody said that game sucked. Why is it still around? Well, it obviously didn't suck bad enough for it to not to make money because that's why it's still around. Yeah. Um, all right, Dad, you had an, another one popping up. Yes. Is there a genre of games that work best for early access in terms of sales? Ooh. And the counter, is there some that we would say, do not, the bad examples of genres for early access? Oh,
1: man, um, that's a really good one. And I, off the top of my head, I think I would say, I can tell you maybe things that don't work. And I can tell you what I think, uh, what, what one of the ones that I think is, is kind of dangerous is anything that is a multiplayer-only title and I know I just talked about some that were really successful, like Hell at Loose. But one thing I would say is a multiplayer-only title. When your game is relying on a player base to come in to stick around to provide gameplay, so you know if you're playing by yourself, the game is no fun. Um, that's a that's a dangerous title, I would say, to do early access. And that's where I think a lot of the alternatives can come in and could be really helpful. Um, ones that I think do well. Um, you know, I've seen uh, um, what well, I would say is like a lot of a lot of platforms or a lot of story-based games where you can do it sort of episodically, and maybe what you're giving is people a view of what what looks like a final slice of the game, but it's a small portion of it. To me, those seem like ones where it can be beneficial because, as a player, you're coming in, you're seeing that final quality or final-ish level quality. Maybe it's a little bit buggy. But you are not going to be frustrated by the content. You're actually going to be wanting more and asking for more and talking about how well things have gone. Like, to me, that would be a good candidate for something that's early access. Um, again, like something where if it's a, it's a live game or it's a multiplayer-only game and it relies on sort of content to be coming down the, down the pike to sort of sustain it. So there's more maps or there's more weapons or, or whatever it is. Those would be scary ones if you did not have that plotted out, planned out well in advance. So what about the,
2: I don't want to say it's a trend because I haven't seen it that much, but I've seen it enough for it to pop on my radar. Mm -hmm. We're having a separate Steam page for a demo than you do for the actual game.
1: It's, It's one that I wonder about myself and I haven't quite figured it out um the other thing that i noticed and you probably have seen this too is hey there's a guy streaming on the steam page on the live stream and that guy was streaming last night at 2 a.m and now i'm seeing it spinning i think people have just sort of learned um there's probably some uh you know like it used to be like an apple right on the apple page oh well The way you get visibility is by putting keywords from popular titles up in your game, even if they don't relate to what your game is. I feel like there's probably some algorithmic thing that people think that they've cracked where it's like, oh, now you get to twice the visibility because you have two pages. Um, Because if, you know, if you do have a demo page, right, your, your normal game page will link to the demo page. So effectively you have two spots on the search bar or on the search list when you start to type the name of your game I have a feeling it's something like that where people think they've uh, increased their impressions uh, by hacking hacking the system
2: yeah I don't think there's been a conclusion on is it helpful or not helpful or not yet yeah but I, I was just curious all right Dan who's next <laughs> oh okay. Are there ways to launch an early access in specific countries or storefronts on PC like people do self-launches
1: on mobile? So I've never done this, but I do think it's possible. So uh, I've only been at Tripwire for just under two years now, so I don't think we've ever tried this, but I do believe you can. So I know for a fact that you can restrict regions, but I think that because of the way Valve sort of controls the release of titles and wants you to sort of like go through the release process, you probably get flagged for that um so we don't i don't know if it's uh likely or good uh a good way to do it um but to be fair like i i don't know off the top of my head um you could yeah yeah it
2: would be even if it wasn't steam i think that would be something interesting to look into maybe if it was a smaller well i mean okay so in some sense you see it with with uh with itch.io yeah you know developers that launch so is there A downside from from your end on the publishing game when you're looking at a game if they're not in early access and selling something on steam but the game is on itch how does that factor in
1: it's a good one i we get a lot of those where you know they'll they'll talk about what their game is doing they'll show that they've got x number of people to have played it on itch um i i think it's to me it seems like obviously those are not mutually exclusive right People that are on Steam are on itch, but they seem separate enough to me um, to not be damaging. Um, I think um, that's that's maybe naive. I'll, I'll say that from my perspective. Um, I don't know what the data is, but it does, I mean, it does factor in, right? Anything, anything that we look at, and I wouldn't say, I don't wanna sound harsh about this, but if there already is information out in the public, it does set kind of a, uh, it does almost seem like, okay, well, that's one strike. Um, it's not always going to be the case, like we need to dig into it, but it is something that we look at and sort of, I would say, have a gut reaction that, okay, well, now they've sort of set the tone or set the narrative or put out their their uh, their thing, or maybe they've show, showcased their, their big thing that's going to make the game different, and now we can't use that. It does seem... Uh, it is a negative to us. It doesn't mean that always we're gonna sort of look at it and be like, oh no 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 no, that's no good. Obviously, Deceive Inc. was um, out there and and present as a lumberyard title and up on Steam and had a Steam page for, gosh, over two years I believe, um, uh, and it didn't dissuade us. So that's uh, it's not a hard fast rule. It just is something where you look at it and you're like, okay, well, I wish we could have I wish we could have rolled it out like this instead. Um, Deceive had a fantastic mechanic to begin with it was showcased in a brilliant way um the 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 quality of the assets that the sweet bandits folks had put out there to begin with was fantastic so that was a case where okay they did not do harm to the potential of it um they've they've actually done a really good job of sort of putting their best foot forward and you know they they come from a, a a long line of sort of studio veterans so they they knew what they were doing I mean, I'll say for,
2: from my side, if you were going to self-launch a PC title, Itch is where I would do it. Because it, there is crossover, but I don't think that the number of players who play on Itch and Steam are so numerous that an early launch on Itch is going to you know input that much. I mean, look at how many... Look at how many gamers bitch and moan because they have to play games on Steam and on Epic. Oh my God, that's two different things. And that's part of the reason I'm like, yeah, you know, I don't, I know there's crossover, but I think if you were gonna do a soft somewhere, that would be the place I would shoot for. It seems to um, me like it would make the most sense.
1: Yeah. All
2: right. Uh, It seems, this is from Discord, all these things are coming in from Discord, by the way. So if you've got a question, you can pop it in chat here on Twitch or YouTube or Facebook or LinkedIn, wherever you're watching us. Or if you're on the Discord, you can pop it into the podcast questions channel uh, and Dan will grab it and pull it over. Um, All right, wait, I lost my question. There we go, all right. (laughs) It seems that many publishers are kind of scared of early access. Reviews tend to be lower than when you have a complete game. Do you think that perspective could change?
1: Um, we, I admit, are a little scared. At least I am of early access, um, and and I think it all comes from we, as a publisher, um, do tend to want to sort of market games the way that we feel we are best at marketing them, and that is we like to do the sort of the build up, the reveals. Put out some really nice materials, um, sort of let those lead the way, and then generate the buzz from there. Engage with the press, with the gaming press, etc. Before people can check it out. So, uh, I would say, from our perspective, the way that we market which has been amazingly successful for us, um, that yeah, we we are, I would say, gun shy a little bit on on early access. Will it change? Um, <clears throat> I think there are definitely. Obviously, we talked about a couple of cases where people have done early access and been extremely successful. So I, I, I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all answer for that. I don't think that, um, I think it's going to be on a title-by-title title basis is what I guess I should say, not based on what the publisher is or does. There are going to be smaller indie publishers that, um, you know, maybe they really welcome that and they really want to see, okay, how many discord users have you gotten what's your community look like what have you built it up to and that might be um kind of the thing that they're most interested in and what they want to see and if getting your game out there via early access and getting some decent reviews is the way to do it then that probably will sit really well with those publishers um and and more power to them that's awesome um as far as the reviews go um i mean they're um yeah, that's uh, that is one thing, right? Like when you do early access, um, you, you are you are sort of opening it up to the public and saying, "All right, check it out." Like wh- one thing I would say is like there are a lot of good alternatives where you don't need to worry as much about the backlash from, "Hey, I put something out and we had bugs or it crashed a lot and we we didn't have we didn't realize that we were going to have people joining from this country and our servers weren't set up correctly." And man, they just had a really Experience, um, you know, if you're looking at um, PC, um, obviously you can either start to form and do your own sort of like friends and family or closed ba- uh, closed alphas, where you can try and engage people through your Discord or through social media posts and stuff like that, and try and t- keep it tight and contained. Um, you can try and do it through external companies. There are great companies like, um, I think we've worked a lot with like Linebridge um, is a really good company that can help you do some early testing. Um, We've worked with a company called DACA, D-A-Q-A, and um, they are really good at being able to sort of uh, source people that can give you good and honest feedback. Um, And they're all under NDA, right? So you do it in a sort of a closed environment where you can get, you know, upwards of hundreds of people, if that's really what you want, and if you have the budget for it, and you can get that feedback without um, sort of spoiling, spoiling your big reveal.
2: So on the flip, so and if, if you're out there listening and you're like, which side of this are you on, Jay? Because you keep making points. I'm not on <laughs> either side. It's my job to argue with everybody. Um, one of the things that I have noticed in the green light meetings that we have internally with our, our scouting clients, is if they look at something that's in early access and they will immediately go to the reviews. And even if the reviews are all positive or very positive, they'll be like, well, it only has like 12 reviews. So obviously it's not doing very well. And I have to pull back and go, but they're looking for a publisher because they don't know how to market the game. And that's what they need help doing. So, I mean, as a developer, you need to keep in the back of your mind that through no fault of your own, other than the fact that you launched in early access, the number of reviews that you have is going to impact the perception that a lot of these, a, a lot of publishers will will look into. And I spend a lot of green light meeting time going, <laughs> of course they have a low number of people. They don't know how to market their game. Um, all right. Uh, Dan, next one. <laughs> Ooh. If we're going to do early access, should we release the game at the
1: same price or do a discount? Um, I feel like the thing that I've seen that has worked and done well is if you do an early access, that you do provide a discount. So I think it is like, uh, why do people do Kickstarters, right? If you, um, especially like, there are lots of tabletop role-playing companies. Like I follow Free League in a lot. Like Free League, they put out a ton of stuff, tabletop, and they do it all through Kickstarter. And you're like, but you don't need Kickstarter. You have like playing money. Ah, but as a player of those games, I know I'm going to be able to get it at a discount compared to when it release is full. And so that is a sales point that I find I will often buy a game early access because it's at a discount. And so it's sort of like puts me over the edge and flips me over into or converts me, um, um, really makes me want to um, you know, take the plunge, take the dive on that one. So. I think it's a good strategy. You know, I think, you know, five or $10 discount seems reasonable depending on what your price point is. Um, so I do think it's a good idea.
2: One of my mentors many years ago told me, and I have stuck with this ever since you can always lower the price of your game, but you can't go back and raise it. And so it's not raising it to go from here's a discount to here's what the price is. Right. The point is, you can't put it out there at no discount at 20 bucks or whatever it is in early access and then go, we're going to raise it to $30 when it's, when it actually launches, just put it at $30 and give a discount. I mean, it's just one of those things to, to keep in mind. So, all right, we've got about five or six more minutes left. So if you've got your questions, pop them in here real quick and we'll get to them. Um, The next (laughs) I'm getting notes on the back side the next question is the biggie that everyone wants to know. Mm. Is this the one that everyone wants to know, Dan? Yes. Yes. I'm getting nods. <laughs> is there any evidence for an early access game that is still trying to find its audience? I've gotten some interest from influencers, but I really need to build a community.
1: Mm. Um, the first thing I would ask is what is your budget? And I know that's an unfortunate thing to ask because I think probably 99% of the time people are going to say, I'm doing this on my own. I don't have a budget for that. And that is totally understandable. So let's assume that you're talking about, I need I need to uh, put this out there and I need to get this done for free. Um, some of the strongest um, examples I would see, uh, I have seen is doing it through social media and starting with, sort of starting to build your community up through um you know twitter through t- tweets through gifs um there's a game that we were following for a long time called project Cato. that's had some fantastic um, material come out there um, on twitter in the forms of gifs and we've been Uh, very interestedly chatting with them, and we love uh, everything they're doing. They've done a really good job of garnering interest by showing high-quality content in a very limited capacity on social media. So you see a snippet, and it looks awesome. It's something that you want to play. Obviously, the the point of social media is, like, K-factor and and virality right so you want to put something out there that will get more people to talk about it not just the people that are already paying attention to it so if if that's what you're talking about i think all of the most common ways to do it for free is start your discord community start to build build that up um you know uh, push out whatever you can that looks really good and will get interest for uh through social media i would say um i personally You know, as as someone who looks at that stuff and kind of looks at it, I don't feel particularly intrigued when I see here's a T-pose of a model I'm working on that could essentially be kind of like a Unreal Store asset or something like that. Um, So I would say that's probably not the kind of content you want to put out there and be showing. Um, Start up all of your avenues, right? Get your Instagram, get your TikTok, get all of those things going and have them all funnel into your Discord where people can get updates and hear you. Um, I, 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 think that's really the only way now, if you do have a budget and you're talking about it, that's, that begets, that gets a little more complicated and you got to figure out kind of like, where do you want to spend your money? Um, and what is your marketing capacity? Like, do you have a marketer or a social media person on, on board that can help you run, let's say, I'll say Facebook ads, even though I think that's like getting kind of old school now. Um, but running Facebook ads and generating that, um, that positivity is a great place to start there.
2: Right. We've got two questions that have come in, but we've already covered them. So, Lee, go back and watch the early side, early part of the show, and it'll be live. You have this work. You've done this before. Go back and watch the early part, because that's what we talked about very early. And Genevieve on discount, uh, Discord, same. We, we talked about the, the demos being damaging as early access and getting a publisher will there whether or not had some points very very early on uh and bitmap Joe says I remember buying killing floor two early access it was an amazing launch with almost no bugs and we did not pay anyone to say that, uh, that was, <laughs> thank you uh, Joe. all right so you know if you do have stuff hanging over Brian's on the discord he's going to be around he'll he'll be able to answer questions I got to remember to give him the handy dandy, you know, guest of the show role, so you all know who he is. There we go, good and set. Um
0: oh he's got uh, one.
2: I know I just did it. Like oh. literally well, it was- <laughs> <laughs> the um so one, Brian, thank you so much. Not only for being here and answering a lot of yeah. these questions, but for the support and trust and I know I have thanked y'all like a hundred times, but it really means a lot to us. The things that you are going to be empowering. Uh, us to do at Indie Game Business, uh, and the first of which, folks, uh, tickets are on sale September 21st and 22nd. We have our next Indie Game Business sessions, powered by Tripwire Presents. What What are uh, the dates of it again? The 21st and 22nd of September.
0: Okay, I didn't even know that, so I'm gonna have well, to put that I in my calendar.
2: Announced it this morning, Dan. Are you not on the
0: newsletter? Um, I am, but you know what? I I don't worry. Um, today's we, my day we, off, sort of. We, we have we have people for this stuff now, um, and, and our next indie game business is three guys with facial hair play Killing Floor two <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'll
0: be there. Uh, oh, <laughs> all right,
2: yes. And so, one, get your tickets. You can go to indiegame.business if you follow the Brent Bright thing. They're right there. You can go to Powell dot com. It's all there. Um, get your tickets, and if you want to be a speaker thanks to Brian and the team, we are compensating speakers now. So I don't think a lot of conferences do that. Uh, I know GDC does, but we ain't GDC's budget, but, uh, individual speakers will be paid $200 per session. And if you have a panel of three or more, uh, we're basically going to give you a a pool of 500 bucks to fight over. Um, but submit those on there's a submission link right there on our, uh, uh, on our homepage or on the Indie Game Business page. Uh, and then we also, you know, my other big thing this week is we have a Linktree account now. So Ooh. people can Linktree us. It's on all of our social medias. Uh, so yeah. Awesome. Oh, wait. Calix said they were not offered a stipend at GDC this year. We are better than GDC. Yes. <laughs> Put that in the press release. We are paying more than GDC. Oh, wow. Um, wow. Yeah. As somebody who speaks, I've always wanted to do it, but we've never been able to do it. Now we can. Uh, Brian. Anything you want to plug, talk
1: about, Uh, announce? I want to talk about so many things, but uh, we've recently announced Aspire 2. We've recently announced uh, Deceive Inc. Um, If you haven't already played Chivalry, it's out. It's on Steam now. Um, We've just been hammering away at updates on that game. So um, uh, yeah, so check those out. And yeah, like you mentioned, Killing Floor is still gosh, what, seven years now on or, or more yeah. possibly, still has updates coming. So um, check out our games and uh, and reach out to me if you've got something you want to chat about. Thank like you like so I was much. telling Brian so...
0: earlier, I'm like, one of the very first games that I streamed on Twitch ever was Chivalry. Way, 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 way back in the day. It was so awesome to slice people's heads off.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and now you can throw them back at them. So you can kill, kill other people
0: with other people's heads.
2: All right. So, Brian, the other big thing, what types of titles are you looking for right
1: now? Yeah, thank you, Josh. Yeah, we are um, a publisher. We are looking for titles to publish. Um, Obviously, if you look at kind of Tripwire's catalog, those are the best fit. But what's Tripwire interested in? if you if you hear the term double A, that's a fantastic term. I would say we're just looking for stuff that's fresh and unique and high quality. And I know that's kind of like okay, well, what does that really mean? Um, we're interested in everything. Um, and and uh, you know, I think if you if you look at our titles and you sort of think, hey, I could see mine sitting alongside those games that are up there, like please do reach out. We'd love to hear from you.
2: They are specifically looking for a game where you play as an orca. And you attack people because that's, they think that there's a a, a model of, of something there
0: something. a salmon Maybe. A salmon <laughs> and you attack bears yes in the river a really and angry upstream salmon. And die. yeah All right Dan bless out buddy. <laughs> thank you so much Brian for joining us and thank, thank you Jay for being an amazing host and if you guys don't know where we're at discord.gg slash indie game business Bam that's where it is We want to thank tripwire presents for sponsoring the show and for sponsoring Indie game business but yeah this is gonna be this is on twitch youtube um it's on linkedin it's on facebook and check out the podcast if you don't have time if you can't watch it and you just want to listen to it we have hundreds of them uh anchor.fm we're on spotify we're just all you got to do is just type in indie game business into google and it's all us so thank you so much for joining us everybody have a ama- yeah Linktree. link tree link Linktur.e. <laughs>
2: everybody could thank Indie Game Lover for that because yes. I, I, I
0: got a big talking to you this week about why we didn't have it. So now we have it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How dare you it. not have a link tree? Yes. Yeah, so thank you all so much. Thank you all in Discord for hanging out. That was amazing. And thank you for the amazing questions. And have a blessed day. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.